Hello and welcome to Global Data Pod Research Fab. Uh, I'm your host, Nora Sensivani, and joining me today is Mike Ferroli, JP Morgan's chief US economist. Uh, hi, Mike, how are you doing? Good, how are you, Nora? I'm all right, I'm all right, hanging in there. What a few weeks it's been. Uh, we've uh, seen the failure of two US regional banks, maybe a third one. Uh, over the weekend, uh, we've had coordinated central bank action to provide US dollar liquidity through swap lines. We've seen the buyout of uh, one of Switzerland's largest banks by another. So there's been a lot happening here and I guess we could take this in many different directions, but I think what we really wanna focus on in today's research wrap is uh, the implications of the current banking sector stress on the Fed's policy response and also the impact on the US economy. Because um, I think uh, in terms of the banking sector analysis, there's been a lot written already by banking and credit analysts on you know, the chain of events, how we got here. Uh, so let's focus on those things. Uh, you have helpfully published an excellent piece on this titled Move Fast and Break Things. So why don't we start with that? Uh, maybe uh, you could you know, walk us through what the Fed has done so far in response to the banking stress, uh, you know, how it fits into their crisis response framework and whether you think it's proving to be effective at this point at all. Okay, so um, you know, I think when we think about this, we, uh, the Fed's response so far, uh, we kind of go back to uh, an old maxim from Ben Bernanke back in the early 2000s when he said, use the right tool for the job. And by that, he meant uh, when there are financial stability concerns, use the suite of regulatory supervisory and lender of last resort tools to address those. And then try and uh, use your monetary policy tool, primarily the funds rate, to focus on the macro economy. Now, Bernanke himself conceded that's never such a fine dividing line there, as one might hope. But so far, I think that seems to be uh, the playbook. And so in terms of the financial stability tools they've employed, uh, it has been primarily their more traditional ones, uh, which is to say, uh, using uh, and making sure that the discount window uh, uh, is available and open for use and encouraged for that use. They did create another facility which uh, is similar to the discount window in that it is um, lending to depository institutions against a smaller subset of collateral, uh, uh, treasuries, mortgages, and agency debt, uh, but at more generous terms than, uh, than the discount window itself. Um, and then finally, and somewhat under the radar, they actually uh, helped fund the FDIC um, conservatorship of... Uh, of Silicon Valley and signature banks, which is actually a bit breaking with past, pra past practice. So that's what they've done so far. Uh, some speculation that um, we could see further interventions here. In particular, there has been uh, media reports that uh, the Fed is considering in conjunction with Treasury some tool to essentially ensure depositors above the statutory 250000 uh, uh, cap. So we'll see what we get there, um, but that's what's 
the Fed has done so far in terms of the financial stability aspect. Maybe we can just put some broad numbers on this just to provide some historical context. I mean, when I'm speaking to clients, there are a lot of parallels being drawn with Lehman Brothers collapse and the, the GFC 2008. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are the kind of amounts of emergency borrowing here in a historical context? Are these very large amounts? What What are the parallels we could be drawing at this point so with respect I, to the policy reaction? Sure. I think one important distinction is that uh, the GFC, uh, much of the stress was occurring in the shadow banking system, which mm-hmm. made it harder for the Fed to address because to, to lend to non-banks, uh, you have to uh, basically set up various extraordinary structures to do that. Whereas this is primarily a problem within the banking system. So it's kind of a little more in the Fed's wheelhouse, if you want to put it that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, in terms of the numbers, uh, last week or as of last Wednesday, the Fed had extended a little over $300 um, billion to the banking system. And, you know, we... Uh, before kind of comparing that to the, to the GSC, I think it's helpful to note that um, all but $6 billion of that was uh, extended through the New York and San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank. So those 10 other uh, regional reserve banks between them borrowed about $6 billion. So that, I think, is encouraging and as a sign that maybe this is so far really limited to uh, the two banks in receivership, plus, you know, I think First Republic actually announced that they made a significant draw on the discount window. So, so far, uh, it does, or as of Wednesday, it seemed to be pretty, uh, pretty localized. Now, in terms of the one other thing I should say is that last week was record high discount window usage. Yeah. However, and this kind of goes back to my earlier point about the GFC, during the GFC, overall credit extended to the financial system was much greater at some point they got if you if you include the swap lines it was over a trillion at points so just looking at narrowly at the discount window this is the largest but looking more broadly at the fed's response this is still you know a fraction of what it was at the worst of the gfc okay so the fed has taken action system seems to be working as intended so far let's see let's see how it goes i mean in terms of um, discussing the implications for the real economy i think uh, another important distinction we should make between the gfc and now in terms of the fundamentals is that you know back then what we saw is a significant uh, build up of private sector credit right ahead of ahead of that crisis and right now an important feature of the the macro backdrop that we have been talking about and that's helping to promote resilience is the health of the both the US household and and corporate balance sheets right we've seen over the past decade or so US households reducing their leverage what that means to me is that we're just not sitting here with the same kind of imbalances that really would necessitate very large adjustments. Um, of course, just because it's not the same as 2008, it doesn't mean that you know the markets can't sell off and we can't have a major risk-off event, including a recession. Uh, so maybe it's helpful in that context to talk about the channels uh, through which this banking crisis could affect the real economy. Uh, why don't you, you walk us through what, sure. what main channels you have in mind? Uh, so I think, you know, the, the biggest concern of ours uh, right now for the economy is, so this is clearly a small and regional bank issue. Those banks tend to have 
kind of a unique competency in having you know rich networks of lending uh, of businesses they lend to within their areas. These banks tend to uh, supply you know significant source of credit for commercial real estate, and uh, so if we see these banks uh, delever either because deposits are running down or just out of general caution and uh, husbanding of their, of their balance sheets, uh, then that should provide a headwind uh, to growth. We've estimated, we and various people have estimated that you know, for each dollar of lending, reduction of, in loan supply, we probably lose something between you know, 30 to 50 cents of GDP. So there are a lot of estimates out there you know, about these types of multipliers. I think what's harder to say is um, you know, how much should we expect uh, lending to contract? Uh, just to kind of, you know, put a, uh, you know, a marker out there, we said, all right, let's say if small bank lending uh, over the next year uh, is flat, right? Then relative to the baseline of it's been growing about 500 billion over the last year, if that goes down to zero, that takes off, uh, you know, something between, you know, five tenths to a percent off of GDP. So, you know, it would be a, a pretty significant hit. Uh, that alone might not tip us into recession, but it certainly would contribute along with the various other channels through which monetary policy uh, should hold back the economy. And I guess yeah. probably the best parallel here would be, um, so in the late 1980s, you similarly had a large number, well, not similarly, but you had a large number of um, small banks, savings and loans uh, fail. And that held back uh, credit growth in the early 90s. And, um, you know, so the 1990 recession wasn't the worst we've ever seen, but it, it was followed by a pretty slow uh, recovery. So never perfect parallels here, of course, in macroeconomics, but that's probably the closest we can. Okay, so basically this is working through several channels. One of them is a tightening in uh, lending standards, which, by the way, was already taking place even before this uh, latest sort of banking crisis. We were already seeing a fall off in loan demand in the most uh, interest rate sensitive sectors. Uh, so these are the kind of traditional channels along with the confidence channel, which of course is a lot more difficult to, to monitor and, and to predict. But I mean, what I'm getting from your piece really is that it's, it's almost not business as usual, but it's, it's kind of what we should be expecting, right? Given the magnitude of tightening has been very aggressive. We've seen the largest uh, Fed hiking cycle here in over 40 years, 450 basis points of hikes plus. Uh, and so really the effects we're seeing is what one would expect to see. Uh, and therefore, you know, this contraction in, in lending that you're, you're describing is sort of already built into our forecast, right? You have been calling for a mild U.S. recession in late uh, 2023 for some time now. I mean, is there anything here that you're seeing that makes you more worried that the hit could be larger or it could come earlier or is everything more or less as you would expect. And, um, you know, there's nothing too surprising. These are just the usual uh, yeah, stresses. I, would, <laughs> I mean, we certainly weren't, weren't predicting um, this event, you know, and the particularities of it. Uh, what we were, you know, expecting to see was, um, you know, tightening in loan standards, right? We, always, we almost always see that when the Fed uh, tightens a lot and when economic prospects start to look a little uh, grimmer. Uh, we didn't really expect to see, um, you know, this kind of 
perhaps panic in non-insured deposits. Now, it remains to see how far this goes, uh, but I think right now, um, given what we know, doesn't seem like it's um, you know enough of a, a surprise relative to our outlook to to be pulling forward. Let's say um, uh, our expected recession, which, as you mentioned, we have starting in the fourth quarter of this year. You know, yeah, maybe those if this kind of starting <laughs> if this runs out of control, uh, you know, we could we could see that pulled forward into you know third quarter, perhaps even second quarter. But that's certainly not what we're thinking right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I guess, you know, a lot will also depend on how the Fed reacts uh, to all this. You know, we've obviously got the FOMC meeting uh, coming up tomorrow. Uh, you know, the market has gone from pricing in pretty extreme scenarios over the past month, right? We've gone to pricing in cuts to pricing out the cuts, and now we've, we've got cuts in again. Um, you know, where does this leave the Fed in terms of what it needs to do with its policy rate? I mean, you mentioned this uh, separation principle. Uh, obviously, we're sitting here with inflation that is running considerably above target. You've got the, um, you know, the ex-housing um, core services running like above 5% annualized. So this, these are pretty strong inflation numbers. So obviously, the Fed feels like they need to do something, but obviously, they don't want to break more things as they go along. Uh, mm -hmm. with this tightening. So what is what is the right response here from them, both in terms of what they'll do this week and then in terms of the guidance they're going to be giving us? Yeah, so I think for tomorrow, um, it's a tricky situation, but we think uh, the right thing would probably be to hike 25, but then also to signal that they are um, close to, you know, if not done, that they're close to done and that they are watching, you know, the situation, not just for its effect on financial stability, but for how it may uh, impact the economy over time. Um, but we think pausing, you know, pausing at this point after, you know, two weeks ago, signaling, basically almost signaling 50 basis mm -hmm. points to move to a, a pause, I think would um, uh, not only, uh, you know, send a message about the seriousness of their inflation fight, but might also send a worrisome message about, you know, how how worried they are about the situation, as well as how effective they think their financial stability tools um, really are. Right. So you could actually have some adverse effect on uh, on confidence if they were to to pause. Now, uh, that being said, as I said, I think they probably signal both through the dots. Uh, as well as through the statement language that, um, you know, future hikes are, you know, uh, don't, aren't, aren't a given at this point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I guess one concern will be is that um, the separation principle becomes more difficult in a situation where it's really the policy rate hikes themselves, which have directly contributed to these these current stresses and, you know, the mark to market losses. Obviously, there were supervisory issues and, and other issues as well. Um, but I guess there's another principle which says do no harm, right? When you know that the banking system is already under stress um, and things are breaking, then I guess there's greater risk associated with um, continued hikes. Um, I guess, I mean, one way we've um, framed this is that there are shifting near-term dynamics in which we're getting more tightening maybe through credit channel and less through Fed policy rate hikes. I mean, do you think that distinction is an important one or ultimately it doesn't really matter in terms of it doesn't have much bearing on the timing or the depth of the re recession 
I mean, provided we avoid a financial crisis, do you think it kind of really matters? What are the channels specifically that this sort of tightening comes through or? Cycle twice, right? In terms of, so you can say generally for every hundred basis points, how much should you expect the dollar to strengthen? How much should you expect equities to weaken? Uh, But within those estimates, there's always a pretty um, wide range of outcomes. So, you know, I don't think any two tightening cycles are going to look, you know, exactly alike. And, uh, um, you know, so I think this one, again, is is proving that point again. Again, if you want to maybe draw parallels, uh, the the late 80s would be the closest, but they're Mm. never perfect parallels. All right. Um, so is there any chance that we could still get a soft landing or are we past the point of no return and the damage is kind of already done here? Can you envisage a scenario in which actually we do end up with a, with a soft landing? Um, let's, say, let's say the Fed pauses, right? And then that helps to ease up some of these conditions um, that were pressuring the financial sector. Of course, yeah. then you're still, still left with high inflation, right? So that's the problem, but... Um, um, I mean, you never say never. Um, I think if uh, if Fed and Treasury are successful in uh, restoring depositor uh, confidence, um, you know, this situation could you know could pass by, right? And that that might be what the market is trying to say this morning. Obviously, that could change <laughs> this afternoon. Um, so uh, there is, you know, I think there is a. A scenario. I don't think it's. I still don't think it's the most likely, but I wouldn't rule it out. All right. So maybe just one final one from me. Uh, this is more just a clarifying point. There's been a lot of market commentary going around that the Fed is undoing the progress that it has made in terms of reducing its balance sheet, and we obviously touched on this a little bit at the beginning. Um, what, how are you viewing um, these actions? And, you know, obviously this is not QE as we know it, but is kind of QT still happening? And what's the outlook for the, for the balance so, sheet and tightening? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think if, and again, these, these are all kind of conditional, if this situation, uh, you know, resolves itself in coming weeks and coming months, uh, the expansion of the balance sheet that occurred um, last week should be self-liquidating, right? Um, depositor confidence returns, uh, then, you know, banks will, uh, you know, particularly at the discount window payback, uh, those loans and the balance sheet will go back down. So, um, uh, you know, so I, I, I don't, I wouldn't quite see it as uh, QE at all, actually. Yeah. Okay. No, thanks for that clarification. And then, I suppose that, you know, the market is, as I mentioned, uh, pricing in early rate cuts from the Fed. Um, I think it's about 70 basis points uh, by the end of the year. I mean, what's the kind of, um, you know, scenario under which you think that could happen still? Um, we, don't, I mean, yeah. we don't have those cuts in our forecast, but what would kind of push you in that direction? Um, so, yeah, I mean, as you say, we don't have cuts uh, until the second quarter of next year. Um, now, the obvious thing to say is if the recession happens earlier and is, you know, deeper than we have penciled in, then, then you could see cuts later this year. Um, you know, we still have, we still have a debt ceiling to get past uh, this summer. So there are certainly some, you know, 
binary events or event risk that even if you think the most likely case is that um, you know the Fed doesn't cut this year, there's still doesn't strike me as unreasonable that you might want to price in uh, you know some some chance that things uh, get a little pear-shaped um, as we move through the year. All right, so a lot of uncertainty to consider here. That's probably a, a good point to uh, to wrap things up. Uh, thank you very much, Mike, for, uh, yep. for joining me on the research wrap. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, we hope to continue the conversation on the next episode.